Texas Tech is heading into the offseason, and they've got some key decisions to make about how they're going to build their roster. We're going to discuss some of those possibilities coming up on today's Locked On Texas Tech. Our Locked On Texas Tech, your daily podcast on the Texas Tech Red Raiders, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Texas Tech, a member of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. Just a reminder that we are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. If you have not subscribed to our channel, please do so now. It would be a great help to us. I'm Ryan Mainville. I cover Texas Tech for the Dallas Morning News, and I'm joined by Emery Lida, a longtime Texas Tech analyst, writer, and podcaster. Today, we are kind of continuing the discussion that we began in our last episode about, hey, what are some of these philosophical questions that Texas Tech needs to address when it comes to building a roster? Because that's a pretty huge thing to to address. I think there are a lot of people that have a lot of different philosophies about how you build a team, maybe you just throw a scally at every single talented player in the portal. Maybe you try and get younger. Maybe you try and get older. Maybe you look for high conference guys. We're going to discuss all of that. But Emory, there are endless possibilities of what you can do if you're a Division One basketball coach in 2022. Yeah, I think first off, you have to start with the question of do you want to stay young in the portal and try to attract guys that are going to be sort of freshman, sophomore, they're going to give you three four year, three or four years worth of eligibility? Or do you want to do what Tech has done in years past and go after the grad transfers, the guys that are going to be really only here for a year or two? And that's one of those things that, like, if you look at the transfer portal, if you look at the guys that are in the portal, there's a very clear distinction for the most part between guys that are kind of at their last stop, they're coming to the last year or two. Think of a guy like Bryson Williams, who's – already had successful stops at Fresno State and at UTEP and had a successful college career. Obviously, you think of like a Davion Warren or Adonis Arms. Those are guys that this was the culmination of their journey. And then you have sort of the middle ground. You have young guys from power conferences that or from non-power conferences that have had success and are trying to jump up in their competition level. They're still going to have a few years, but don't really have necessarily the experience at a high high major level. And then you've got the young guys from other power conference teams, maybe the reclamation projects, maybe their coach left, stuff like that. But in general, the debate between young and old is going to be one of the things where you see a lot of different philosophies in the portal. And I think it's important to sort of dissect what you want to do as a team heading into this, because certainly if you look at the trend that tech has done in years past, they've gone after generally age and experience, regardless of the caliber of player, as a general rule, tech gets older in the transfer portal. Some teams, a lot of times, will like to do it the other way around. I mean, obviously, it's not an exact science, but a team like West Virginia, for example, has gone after quite a few reclamation projects. You see other teams in, in power conferences will go after guys that are younger. And then, obviously, in the mid-major conferences, you see that a lot, where they'll get kind of the guys that flamed out of the Power 5 school and end up having three, four years of eligibility left. So, Kind of how teams attack the portal varies by the coach and by what their end game is. But certainly, if you're looking at this tech roster, the number one thing that I would say that you're going to be looking at is, are you trying to get younger or are you trying to get older? 
Yeah, and that's a big question in today's college basketball. And it's a big question because you're not forced into an argument either way. Like there is going to be a plethora of talent on either end of that spectrum available to you. And you can, you know, be like Texas Tech has, especially last season, loaded up on a bunch of grad transfers, get really experienced, or you can be like Eric Musselman and land like six five stars in your recruiting class. It's just nuts the way that different philosophies kind of show themselves. But I think Texas Tech does have an interesting decision here. You mentioned like the reclamation projects, these guys that um, maybe you take a dice roll on. Like I think of Sardar Calhoun, who played really, really well at the JUCO level, went to Florida State and kind of fought for minutes. And you're thinking, okay, maybe I'll take a maybe I'll take a dice roll on this guy. And then you look at somebody that's experienced um, at a high major level, like Bryson Williams, obviously UTEP. Um, there's better basketball conferences out there, but he had good performances against uh, Kansas, obviously, as he continued to do. And then you got a guy like Kevin O'Banner who played really well in March. And so I think that this is a really interesting decision for the Texas Tech staff because there's already a bunch of names here that end up on either end of the spectrum, right? You've got experienced guys like like Sean McNeil, Tristan Newton, some of these guys that have uh, played in college basketball for a couple of seasons, guys like Antonio Reeves. And then you've got uh, kind of more dice rolls. Sharif O'Neal hit the portal today. I had plenty of people in my mentions uh, asking for that. And that's a hard pass for me, but that's another episode. Like Andre Corbella, I think that's another guy that's kind of like a young dice roll, a guy that you maybe uh, just play your cards and see what happens. But Cam Hayes. What's up? Cam Hayes. Cam Hayes, yeah, that's another good good shout. Um, Antonio Reeves, I think, is a is a senior at this point, junior at this point, um, so a little bit more proven. But yeah, you've got you've got options. And uh, in the first off season graph that I posted this off season, um, I mentioned in the comments that like, hey, I'm reporting that like Texas Tech's philosophy this season is to get plug and play guys, and I do believe that that's still the mission. That's still what I'm hearing. Obviously, it's been a crazy past couple of days for the program as they've uh, suddenly found themselves potentially without Kevin McCuller and Terrence Shannon Jr. But as far as I know, Texas Tech is leaning towards more experienced, proven guys. Emery, how do you feel about that? Well, I think it's certainly a philosophy that's worth repeating. I mean, you've had good success bringing in experienced, proven players. And obviously, I mean, last year it worked out really well for you. Brought in guys like Davion Warren, guys like Bryson Williams, Kevin O'Banner, certainly guys that have had success on various different stages and you could sort of plug and play, like you mentioned, I think, but there's also a value to those reclamation projects, the guys that for some reason decided to transfer younger. I mean, the best of both worlds is you get a guy that still has two or three years of eligibility left and is, has proven himself to be a remarkable player like a Tristan Newton, which is kind of a little bit of a spoiler for, future episodes but I'm really high on him but certainly you've got you've got to kind of look at it and Mark Adams has made a point to get experience and certainly we saw this year a lot of the teams that went far in the tournament had guys that have played for years in college basketball and that's generally a trend is even teams that have a lot of new newcomers try to get older and I mean we've seen it work out for tech we've seen it work out for other teams I mean obviously in some ways the guy that really sort of coined it in the first place. I think of Eric Musselman as the guy that sort of brought together the portal. I mean, you look at what he did in Nevada a few years ago, bringing in the Martin twins and a whole host of different transfers. And so you've seen these teams that have had success in the tournament with using 
entire rosters of experienced transfers, but you've also seen guys that have been able to transfer and after a year or two really sort of kind of rebound on their career and make good. I mean, you see guys like Charlie Morris had his best season in Miami this year after what seems like a full decade of transferring to different schools and having various levels of success. But so I think you can go both ways. I like the tech has take, taken the approach of getting older in the past. I'm not sure if that's going to be exactly what they do this year. I think there's arguments on both sides. Certainly you have a young core coming back supposedly. I mean, it's early. We don't really know exactly who's coming back, but in theory, you have guys like Jalen Tyson, like Buzo, like Clarence Sodomi, and then you also have some of the younger guys that are coming in from this recruiting class. So, I mean, there's arguments to both sides, but certainly I wouldn't be surprised if Tech continues with the path of just staying experienced, which has worked out for them a lot in the past. Yeah, you just closed your argument, which, like, with the supporting evidence of what I, like, agree with on Texas Tech with this, I typically want uh, my team to to get older. Like, if I'm a college basketball coach, I'm going to want my team to get a little bit more experienced, have guys that are comfortable on the floor, because that just is traditionally what wins you basketball games in March. Um, but I think this year, I'm even more comfortable with that philosophy as kind of your guiding point. I don't think that Texas Tech is, like, only going to sign super senior grad transfers like they're gonna add like some players i'm not i'm not saying that hey they're gonna look off guys like curbello i bet he'll get offered here in the next couple of days actually but i think uh with with this roster and especially with this recruiting class you're signing three really serviceable freshmen in my opinion at least two with isaacs in washington i think those two guys are gonna play a considerable amount of minutes. I, d- I don't know how Jennings fits in exactly yet. I think he's a really good player. Um, I just need to like figure out what he's going to do in the system at a high level. But with those guys coming in, you're not talking about a signing class like you had coming into last season where you uh, literally had Ethan Duncan. And it was like, hey, this guy, even if he's healthy, like probably n- not going to play like hardly at all. And so it's a really interesting philosophy. And I think that gives me... Um, a lot more confidence in Texas Tech to get older and to pursue these veterans rather than just constantly rolling the dice. Yeah, I think you could look at it from a glass half full, half empty perspective. You could look at it on one hand, you get older with this roster. You already have young guys. It's not going to be like this year where suddenly you look up and half your rotation's graduating and literally can't come back. And then you potentially lose a guy like TJ or a guy like McCuller and then your entire rotation's gone. Um, but you also have, so you kind of have that luxury of, in theory, you have enough young guys on the roster that you can afford to be a really aggressive and going after that experience and not lose the back end going forward and that is sustainable. But the flip side is you could get young talent that's out there that has shown to prove themselves at the college level and a still have a fair bit of experience on the roster. You have, you would still be able to mix in guys with experience and also, you could have a really dangerous young core to build on, not just for this year, but going forward, heading into 2023, 2024, and beyond. And I know that it's hard to look in college basketball beyond just a year with how much the portal is utilized and how much sort of things are evolving. But I do think that there is there is still a little bit of continuity in these rosters. I mean, I'm going to look at the final four rosters, and you look at them. Obviously, Kansas has had sort of the core guys of Wilson, Agbaji, and McCormick for multiple years now. You've had... Villanova with Colin Gillespie has been there forever and you've got a roster full of guys that have generally been sort of developing. You've got Duke has had Wendell Moore, Mark Williams, and then obviously a lot of their guys are newer, but you still have that sort of 
core guys that have played for at least a couple of years there. And then UNC obviously has a whole host of guys outside of Brady Manic that have played there for multiple years. So, I mean, there's a lot to be said for continuity. And I think that having sort of youth that allows you to grow into that, there's a benefit to that as well. You mentioned McCormick over Braun, which feels like absolute erasure, man. Got to put some Sorry, respect on I Christian Braun's name. Including Christian Braun. There, there we, we go. That's what I like to hear. All right. You mentioned the difference between, you know, going after guys from a high major and a low major. want to talk about that in our next segment, but first a quick word from Stat Hero. I love March Madness and Bracket Contest, but I can't remember the last time I actually went deep and won any money. I'm hedging my bets this year with Stat Hero. Stat Hero's NCAA single pick'em games put the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Start focusing on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero gives you the advantage, resulting in their gamers winning four times more often. Why? Because Stat Hero eliminates the mystery about who or what you are going up against. Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way to get your sports action fixed. The simple sleek gameplay will have you playing in minutes. This is what Daily Fantasy was meant to be Stat Hero. Thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. We are free and available. On all platforms, here talking about roster building philosophies. This question of do I pursue guys that are maybe less proven at a high level or do I go after some of these mid-major all-conference guys feels like it's continuing to be a more relevant um, argument in college basketball. It's definitely going to continue to receive attention as transfer rules have loosened up and these guys that are playing at a lower level can make the step up. I think that a great example of, um, you know, pursuing a guy that was really good at the lower level and seeing how he transferred up is Davion Warren. Like the dude was a top 20 scorer in the nation at Hampton and, and you rolled the dice on him and you brought him into Texas Tech. That's like exactly, that's the philosophy that you're thinking. Obviously, um, you tell these guys as you're recruiting them, hey, you're not going to have the same role here. Um, but come in and play for me. You've got skills that will translate to the to the next level. And then there's obviously kind of like these guys that are playing for, you know, really good teams, but necessarily haven't proven themselves. Curbelo is a guy that comes to mind, but I don't even feel like that's really fair because uh, Curbelo has done some really good, good stuff over the years. I almost think of like a, like a Devin Askew almost um, going from Kentucky to Texas, or even like a Christian Bishop from Creighton to Texas. Um, it, it's clear that Chris Beard is 100% on board with, with the high major recruiting strategy, but I'm just curious on your philosophy, Emery, because even over these past few days, there have been a ton uh, of mid-major names that are really, really interesting to me. I mean, the ideal world is you get a conference, all-conference first or second team from a high major. That's always obviously going to be the goal that you would look for first in the transfer portal, but generally those guys aren't often available. Um if you're looking at high major versus mid-major, I really think it depends on the prospect. Certainly, if you're looking over the last few years, I would say the Tech has had both successes and failures from each level. Obviously, you look at the high major, and it's a little bit harder to find success stories. I mean, depending on how you view Chris Clark would kind of go a long way into determining if you think he was a success for a failure. Obviously, you have Tariq Owens is probably the most shining example of a really good transfer from a high major that played a cru crucial role. 
but even he wasn't really kind of the development archetype that you're going to see more often in the portal. I look at a guy like Daniel Butcher, who really showed a lot of promise this year. You mentioned Devin Askew. I think he really kind of fits that mold of a guy that was kind of a disaster at Kentucky, but he's somewhat there at Texas. I mean, he's still not good, but, you know, it's certainly not nowhere near as bad as he was at Kentucky. So, I mean, I think the general what I've seen generally speaking is the guys that you go for from high majors seem to be really kind of flipping a die, rolling a dice in a sense, because you look at the success stories and you've had them, like you've had a Tariq Owens. If you have guys that have proven themselves to be in a high level roles and had good success at their previous stop, or you look at guys that simply had sort of things out of their control that hurt them, like a Daniel Bacho missing a whole year to Arizona, or even, kind of looking across the conference at some examples. I mean, I look at, again, I mentioned Charlie Moore earlier, but his ability to come into Miami and be a primary ball handler gave him an opportunity he really didn't have elsewhere in his other conference stops. I mean, Brady Manick at UNC this year obviously comes to mind easily, but you put guys that have distinguished roles into that environment and they're going to have success. And same thing goes for kind of the reclamation projects. If you put them in opportunities that, they're going to have more opportunities or a different role than their previous school. I think it's easy to accept. It's easy to anticipate that they might have some success where I see a little bit of an issue is when you stick them into the same role and sort of expect things to magically change. And I think that that's something that we need to be careful of when we're evaluating prospects. So kind of to answer your question, low major versus high or mid major, high major, I think mid majors, you generally have a more proven sense, as strange as that sounds, where if a player's elite at a mid major level, generally you're going to find at least some way to include him. I mean, the only time I can think of where Tech really failed to have that at any level was a Geo McLean, which was literally the first year that Beard was here. Every other year, they've managed to at least find some semblance of a roster spot for guys, whether it be the guy this year, obviously you had Warren, Arms, Williams, and O'Banner coming in and playing different roles. Obviously, Miley Wilson as well or whether it be kind of in years past, obviously Matt Mooney changing up his role, TJ Holyfield, like just about every established mid-major player that was good at their last stop has been serviceable attack. Now, exactly how good they are depends on variance and just sort of how the individual fits in, but those guys are generally more proven bets. And so in that, in that sense, I would like to go for the, the mid-major, but man, there is something to be said. If you really think that the situation is what, what's holding a high major back, it could be worth going after. And I think you're going to see that this year because I do think that there's kind of an abnormal amount of high major guys that are kind of testing the portal this year that feel like they've been in bad situations, like a Carvello who kind of was limited by injuries this year, but we saw what he could do freshman year. So there's a lot of a lot of differing philosophies. I don't think there's one right or wrong answer, but certainly proven capabilities, mid-majors, gambles, high majors. Yeah, the, the, I think that's a good rule of thumb is just consider context, consider system, like – Askew, I think, has been a lot better because he hasn't like been forced to handle the ball as much because Texas has so many good guards, so many good experienced guards that he's not a guy that's having to play with the usage rate as high as he did um, when he was at Kentucky. You're making a face at me. It was relative. I mean, Marcus Carr is good, don't get me wrong. But in general, those guys, those guards at Texas, I think it speaks more to just how rough Askew is as a ball handler. Yeah. Like, but, like, you put me next to Carr, Ramey, Jones. Like, I'm definitely playing better basketball than I was whenever I was asked to have a higher usage rate. You know what I mean? 
Well, yeah, I think, but that's going to be just about any guard. Like, I think, right, right. Like, for, for me, I would still say that Askew is kind of a bust of a college basketball player. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. For because sure. He, because he's literally should be a point guard. He's been billed as a point guard. Oh, yeah. And his best minutes come when he's not handling the ball, when he's a 10% usage player. Like, it's hard for me to get behind him being a success. It's just that Texas has managed to sort of hide his offensive liabilities. I guess what I'm trying to say is not that he's hit, but almost that like his liability has decreased because he's in a little bit of a better scheme for him. Now, granted, like he's not where he needs to be as a player. Like that's it, just a matter of the fact, but like something has improved. Like I, here, here's a better example. Davion Warren turnovers cut down a tremendous amount because he was handling the ball less and you allowed him to play in a more secondary type role. Is that better? Off the top of my head. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, like, I think there's a ton of options. Really, the only guy on this Texas Tech roster that I think really proved themselves at a consistently high level of basketball um, from last season, Marcus Santos Silva. Like, you feel good about Bryson Williams based on what he did at UTEP. You feel good about Kevin O'Banner based on the on the, on the the tournament. But to play in the A-10 and to play as good as Marcus did, you were able to bring him in and not really change his role, and he was pretty much the same, same player. Like, he decreased his volume, but that's almost always going to be the case with the transfer up. And so I think that's an example of you kind of hitting on a guy that, hey, he's not a world beater, um, but he's going to come and he's going to play consistent ball for you. Yeah, I agree. I think Santos Silva is a really good example of kind of a proven commodity. You knew you knew what you were getting in him. And I mean, certainly Tech has had, I would say that almost all of the high or almost all the mid-major guys that Tech has gone after in years past have been those proven commodities where you had an idea of what they could bring to the table. And certainly, I guess at that point, it just comes down to how comfortable are you with taking risks on guys and trusting that their skills are going to be translatable. Obviously, it's a lot easier to do that with a guy like Bryson Williams, who showed against Kansas when he was at UTEP that he could be an elite level player and certainly had a four year sample size of him, he, him being the guy. And obviously, a guy like Kevin O'Banner showed out on the tournament, gets a lot of eyes, elite level shooter like those are translatable skills. I think Adonis Arms for me is kind of the one outlier of a mid-major guy that Tech sort of took a dice roll on and it paid off for them. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things. Certainly, it's never going to be a 100% guarantee. And I would argue in a sort of twisted way that the high-major guys that you're going to go after are likely more more than off, more likely than not to be gambles compared to what you would get them in major level. But certainly, I mean, there's guys out there regardless. You're going to find... You're going to find guys that have had success at the college level to varying degrees and how you decide to build the roster really just comes down to what the individual coach is looking for. And I do think that the system, the system that a player plays in has a lot to do with it as well. Like I would argue that this year, one of the biggest things that we learned is just how deceptive at honest arms is minutes at Winthrop were, for example, and his sort of the role that he played there was con considerably different than what he ended up playing at tech and we learned some of the skill sets that weren't all weren't always on display at winthrop were really showcased at tech even if he did have kind of outlier level skill development so it's the same sort of concept going forward with transfers where if you see a guy on tape that has 
sort of these skill sets that you think could be utilized in a system attack. I mean, obviously looking at a guy like Antonio Reeves comes to mind is really a plug and play, almost as sure of a bet as you're going to get from a mid-major, from a mid-major player and being able to sort of fit in day one as an, a great offensive player, versatile offensive player that can also defend well. But you have these guys that where if they fit in in a system, you can really utilize them. And I think that just looking at how they fit in at their previous school is something that I would put as an emphasis over maybe their competition level or just how many points they scored or kind of what their stats looked like, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point. We will continue to talk a lot of specific names in the coming weeks, but Texas Tech has also had some movement on the coaching staff. We'll get into that right after a quick word from Bet Online. After months of playing, college basketball has determined the top teams for the Final Four and will determine this year's national champion this coming week. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it, BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, Texas Tech um, having some movement on the roster, but also some movement on the coaching staff. Talvin Hester, a former Law Tech assistant, is heading back to the school to be their head coach. Obviously, some pretty exciting news. Hester joined the, the staff last offseason. Um, he's primarily a recruiting guy. Um, at least that was what a lot of his responsibilities revolved around at Tech was recruiting instead of um, on-court stuff. But obviously, a guy that's familiar with X's and O's. Um, a guy that gave you a lot of really good ties to the Metroplex, and I think that might be something that's that'll be a little bit interesting to monitor, um, just to see, you know, if if that kind of wears you down a little bit. Obviously, Texas Tech only signed one guy from the Metroplex in this twenty-two class, and that was uh, Robert Jennings. And I don't even think Hester was his primary recruiter. I think that the staff as a whole um, kind of handled the responsibility there, but. Um, Hester, man, this is a good hire. He's one of the most respected guys in college basketball. Whenever he was hired by Tech, I had a lot of people um, that cover uh, recruiting in the Metroplex, a lot of people that coach basketball in the Metroplex, just reaching out to me and saying, hey, this guy is a, a really good coach and this is a really good hire. And now he's getting his shot at a head coaching job. I think that's something that it should be celebrated by Texas Tech fans. Um, I don't think that Hardly any feathers will be ruffled because of this. If you're worried about that as a Texas Tech fan, I think that this is uh, pretty stationary. Really, the only guy that he has ties to on this Texas Tech roster is actually Kevin O'Banner, which is a little bit interesting because uh, Hester recruited O'Banner while Hester was at Oral Roberts. But yeah, I think this is a good hire from Law Tech. Um, Hester is going to continue to be a guy that's a really good recruiter. Obviously, um, Texas can kind of be a pipeline state for Louisiana. So shout out to the Bulldogs. They're going to steal uh, steal all of Texas Tech's coaches, but man, they clearly know where it's at. Yeah, so the Louisiana Tech team has had a fair bit of success in years past. I mean, obviously you had Eric Conkle and obviously Hester was a coach under him in the previous three years, I believe. And 
team that just couldn't quite close the door in a Conference USA championship, but was right in the mix the last couple of years. And certainly and the name that sticks out for them is Kenny Lofton, who might be one of the most unorthodox players in college basketball, but he's got a lot of talent. And I'm excited to see what Hester can do with this roster. I think that LaTeX is one of the teams that's best designed to have success in the Conference USA. And obviously, if you're looking at Tech's roster this year, it's hard to really pinpoint exactly sort of what he brought to the table from a recruiting standpoint. But obviously, he's got he's had various different roles. Like you mentioned, his ties to the Metroplex are important. He's also had established connections kind of just throughout the Southwest and in the state of Oklahoma in general. So you've got kind of a lot of um, – a lot of different connections there that he brought to the table. And and if nothing else, he's a really respected guy, a guy that by all accounts was well-respected within the coaching staff. And obviously, I mean, it's going to be some worth monitoring to see who Tech decides to replace him with. I wouldn't be surprised if you got another guy with connections to the Metroplex in some capacity, because even if it didn't necessarily matter in this class, it's obviously something that you want to make sure that you're on top of coming going forward with obviously – you already have Williams and you have Peary, but I don't think either of those guys are as connected as some of the guys you could get on the market for assistant coaches. So for for me, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what Hester can do at Louisiana Tech. I mean, this is a team that has been right there in terms of getting over the hump. Certainly you would like to see have a lot of success. And at Tech, at Tech I think you proved to be a good, good assistant coach and pro- provided some good value for you. So, I mean, that's, that's an exciting move for you. I'm happy to see another tech coach go to Louisiana Tech. It's nice to see their athletic department investing in Texas Tech coaches, but we'll see. It's certainly not the biggest loss that Tech could have from a staff standpoint. Certainly, you would say that of the three coaches, he's probably the, or the three assistant coaches, he's probably the most anonymous of them. And then but that doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't have a big role. And certainly you can see the value in having him on the staff. Yeah. Each guy that's sitting next to Mark Adams this season as an AC. So excluding Sean Sutton from this scenario, because he's Sean, he's Sean Sutton, man, he does everything, but um, each guy kind of has their own individual ties. Like Peary is deeply connected on the West coast. That's, that's not a, that's not a mistake or um, an assumption. It's just true. Um, Corey Williams has a lot of ties to Arkansas, obviously, where he was um, coaching Southeast right next in general, too. Yeah, Southeast in general, um, and in the state of Arkansas, Alabama, which are becoming quite easily some of the most talented basketball states in the country. And then you got Hester, who was deeply connected to the Metroplex. And so I think that's a void you want to fill. I think that is something that you want to um, make sure that you're staying on top of, obviously. Um, Man, there's a lot of good basketball happening here, and it's a really, really good place to watch hoops. Like, there's a lot of really talented people playing basketball in this area of the state. Even got like Drew Steff. He's a guy from Frisco, which is essentially DFW. Um, don't at me, guys. I'm from Plano. I know that. I'm sure some people will be in the comments griping at me about that. But yeah, I think you want to hire a guy that'll fill that void. But um, yeah, it's not the end of the world. It is a really interesting coaching scenario, though. Like, he knows pretty much everybody on this roster because he was there just a season ago. It's almost like if uh, if Bob Donawald came back and coached Texas Tech next season, which would be horrible, but that's the best comparison I can think of right now. It'd be like if Mark Adams had taken a year hiatus to go coach somewhere else and then came back, obviously, when Chris Beard left. I mean... You look at the 
And I'll also the continuity on the Louisiana Tech roster. I know this is probably not all that relevant to the Texas Tech roster, but they do have a lot of guys that were still there when Hester was coach. And I think that plays a lot into it. And certainly, I mean, you look at some of the guys they could have in the portal. And I mean, you, this is a young team in general. I mean, you only had one senior on the roster. So they could be they could be returning just about anyone. And so the team that obviously contended for the Conference USA Championship. And I have to think that maybe the continuity there and the fact that Hester had such a good relationship with the roster played a part in that. And I mean, it's good for them. And obviously, like you mentioned, it's important to have that connection in the DFW on tech's end. And we'll see. I would not be surprised if you went out and sort of heard about a hire in the near future, just because you want to make sure that you're still getting on with the 2023 class and continue to really pursue high school guys, even if the 2022 class is already kind of wrapping up, and at least in terms of what you can get in the DFW. David Peary, or, or uh, PV, that was weird. David PV, here we come. Let's uh, let's get that rumor swirling again. That was a lot of fun last off season, huh? Yeah, a lot of fun. Man, I I don't know. Like, I I really understand the move to like go coach college basketball, but Duncanville is an that, insane job power right now. Man. Yeah, I mean, like they have built that thing up to being one of the best high school jobs in the nation. Yeah. It's wild, man. We'll see what Texas Tech tries to do to fill that hole. Obviously, it's an important one, and the Red Raiders will make sure that they want to do it. In the meantime, thank you for tuning in to this edition of Locked on Texas Tech. We will continue to be breaking down the roster, any movements that happen, um, any hires that happen on the coaching staff. You know that we are your source for Texas Tech news every single day of the week. So be sure that you are subscribed to our YouTube channel, that you follow us wherever you get podcasts, and that you keep up with us on Twitter. In the meantime, you can follow me at our main bill, LBK. I like to post Excel spreadsheets of the Texas Tech roster. You can follow Emery at Eraser41. He likes to tweet about the Blazers. And you can follow the official Locked On Texas Tech Twitter page at Locked On TTU, where we just post our episode links so that you can get direct access to our episodes as soon as they drop. But thank you for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked On NFL Draft. Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker bring the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you tomorrow.